Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. Great to have your company as we kick off the afternoon here on Ausbiz with the call. Ten stocks that uh, you want us to have a look at. I put them to an expert panel for their adjudication. And let me tell you, we've got some cracking stocks uh, suggested to us um, for today. Some that have never appeared on the call before uh, and some really topical ones as well. Uh, let's welcome our, our panel, Nathan Somersandaram from uh, Deep Data Analytics. Nathan, how are you? Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor. Good to see you. Hi guys, how are you? Uh, good, and I love it because a lot of our questions today come with uh, uh, comments from viewers saying, can you put this to Nathan? They're even using <laughs> terminology that Gaurav uses and Nathan you. <laughs> Get Gaurav. I know Gaurav is anti this, but can he look at this? So it is wonderful. Keep sending them in. But Australia is in the middle of a baby boom at the moment. And let me tell you, it's not just the Kosh family. I've got two grandchildren due in November, my eldest daughter and also a daughter-in-law. And I've been inundated with uh, comments from them and also their friends also going through a baby boom going, how are we going to afford kids? How are we going to afford their education? Uh, they're trying to hit me up. And uh, then my, my son said, why don't you put together a little share portfolio for the grandkids' education into the future? And I thought, good idea. What should I choose? So that's our theme for the next two weeks here on the call. Each day, we're going to put to our expert panel to come up with one stock that they would include in a kids fund, an education fund that parents or grandparents want to start? It's a really common question that I get all the time. So I thought, let's go straight to the experts in regard to it. Um, Nathan, what would be your stock to put in a little portfolio if you want to set money aside for kids' education? Now, obviously, that's a long-term portfolio, uh, but one that will help you pay for their expenses. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, I thought of that and I, I went with the education thematic. Um, I looked at Family Zone. Uh, I know we've spoken about this a while ago. Um, F, F, um, Family Zone, it's a cybersecurity education model. Um, look, I've, the very first time when I heard about the management, I fell in love with the stock. The management weren't interested in pumping the stock. They were just getting things done. Um, they were going through state by state, school by school in the U.S., and growing the market share and they've done really well and they continue to do well and i think you know people tend to think this pandemic is going to be short term or you know year two years i think this is going to change the way we do things uh, the way the education system works and these guys are perfectly uh, positioned for it the way they've segmented the market how their product suite works through the schools to the parents 
Um, I think it's a great product and it'll grow over time. And um, I think it's one of those ones that yeah. potentially at some point we're going to be talking about being taken over by one of the bigger players. So so they, they sort of do digital closed networks for schools and families, don't they? So you can keep track of what, what your kids are doing online. Yeah, I mean, you know, everyone tells you what, what usually happens globally over five to ten years has happened in one or two years in Australia because of the pandemic. Yeah. And I think one of those things about those kind of changes is that once that change happens, it's very hard to go back and undo it. Uh, I can see with my kids how well they've adapted to online. Um, and I, look, teachers in both public and private schools have done phenomenal work to give them content. And I think that's not going to change anytime soon. So that those things will continue yeah. to play a part of it. And the parents see the upside in having a, a good close network that they can monitor. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. We We talk about the change in the workplace brought about by COVID and will we return to normal? But not many people are talking about education and how schools will adopt this and make learning a lot more flexible. Uh, Gaurav, what's one stock that you'd put in a sort of little education fund? Yeah, it's a good idea, Koshi, but it, it takes actually a lot of work. So I suppose what you're implicitly seeking, you're looking for a stock that's not only safe because you want to keep this yep. money for the long term you want it not only to be of decent quality and continue generating decent returns over time but i think the quality above all else that stands out here is trying to seek something that is flexible a, a business that has an adaptable business model that isn't going to be subject to fads and failures um, and that's actually quite hard to find. There are plenty of good quality businesses, but they are a lot of them are, um, are exposed to specific risks or um, over the long term could change quite a bit. And so the, the handful of companies I sort of um, whittled it down to was, you, I think you want something like a Solpats or a West Farmers or an Infratil. And, and what unites those three companies is that they've A, just got excellent management teams that have generated loads of value over a long period of time but they can also very quickly and in fact have a, a track record of successfully pivoting into different business segments so as the economy changes as the environment changes these businesses actually change as well i mean hmm. the the company i ultimately went for was was west farmers and um and you think about west farmers where it was five or six years ago and this was a a retailer, um, instead of 80, 90% of its earnings came from retail. And a lot of that was tied up with Coles and, and a whole lot of other retailers. And you look where that business is now, and yes, a substantial part is retail, but it has completely changed. And my guess is, is that in five years time, or in 10 years time, it will look um, substantially different once more. And that kind of adaptability is the kind of quality you wanna look for when you're looking for a company that is going to provide um, uh, funding for a, a specific project or a specific need mm. like this. Um, so I'll go with West Farmers, but also yeah, a shout really out good to Infratil and Solpats, who fulfill both those um, criteria quite well as well. Love it. Okay. All right, guys, let's get into uh, the 10 stocks our viewers want us to have a look at. Um, and Gaurav, Richard wants a view on Callium Lakes. Uh, Richard says specifically can you have a view on this, which has the Beyondy project in Western Australia. 
It's about to be Australia's first sulphate potash producer. Of course, uh, BHP has only the last couple of months had a big skew towards potash. So is Calium an alternative on this? They've just uh, expanded their feasibility study. What do you think of Calium? I have never heard of Calium. Um, and uh, it's uh, not a tiddler either. It's got an EV of uh, sort of a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, but a lot of that is made up of debt. I was quite surprised to see, um, you know, over $100 million of debt on balance sheet. Um, and it initially kind of turned me off a little bit. But as I dug into it, um, this is actually a reasonable idea. Um, look, I don't know much. This is actually this, a sulfate of potash. I think it's quite different to um, the potash that uh, that Janssen, for example, is going to be um, generating. Janssen being the, the big BHP potash business. Um, Jan, that traditional potash is, is a hard rock mining operation. Sulfite of potash, and I don't know it very well, but it looks to be a brine operation, which is quite different. Um, and, and the end result is usually quite different as well. Now, this is still used in the fertilizer market and it will be exposed to fertilizer prices and volumes, but it is, is a little bit different to potash. Potash, hard rock traditional potash is incredibly attractive because the industry is a, um, is a cartel controlled by a handful of companies. So, um, and, they, and they keep prices high. So an outsider like BHB coming in and breaking wow. into that cartel gets access to the high prices without having to abide by the volume uh, production restrictions, which makes it super attractive. This doesn't quite have those same attractions, but it does have other attractions. Look, this is probably out of my wheelhouse a little bit. I don't know sulfide or potash extremely well, but it ticks a lot of boxes that I look for when I'm looking at um, development projects. It's actually got um, the, 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 uh, the resource looks well-defined, well-understood, um, there's a flow sheet that makes sense. Um, they have off, off, offtake agreements in place. Um, funding is in place. Everything is is ready to go. And the economics look reasonable as well, although there will be estimates at this stage. Look, look I think if, if you have a view on sulfur to potash or if you have some knowledge about the business specifically, I didn't find any any reason not to invest in this. It looks like a perfectly legitimate and quite attractive uh, business. It's just a bit out of my expertise. I don't know the commodity very well, and I don't know the people involved or the industry or the company at all. So okay. I would say this is an interesting idea. Certainly nothing wrong with it. And um, my thanks um, for bringing it to my attention. I can't put a buy on it because I just don't know it well enough. But it's interesting enough to keep an eye on and hold. Okay. Uh, Nathan? Yeah, look, it's a, it's one that uh, you know, you know me. I, I love my agriculture, fertilizer plays, chemical <laughs> plays, and this kind of fits into it. I've been actually, funnily enough, it, it is a small one, but I've been following this for a bit. Um, oh. Calium and Salt Lake is another one in Western Australia, uh, in a similar kind of play um, in the potash area. Um, so in that context, I think it's interesting. Gurav's right. I think it's it's one of those ones that it's a tough sector. It's not easy. And a lot of people get into trouble, and both of them have got into trouble. Um, but Kelium is, you know, they're at the right at the end of it. You know, they don't have a lot of cash, so they might be due for a raising. If there's a deal, then that kind of gets them through. There's a fair amount of debt, as Gaurav said. So it's an interesting po point of inflection at the moment for Kelium. If they can execute, get to production, um, get that going, then I think there's a, definitely a, a play there. 
Um, and I think it's an interesting one because people are looking at that sector. Fertilizers are doing quite well. Um, you know, we just had a conference in uh, uh, food-related uh, chemicals, and all of them came out with pretty positive updates. So I think the overall the sector thematic is pretty positive. This is this is an interesting one because if you're looking to get in, I think the risk return is not too bad here. You're close to production, so it's worth taking the risk. Uh, but again, it's high risk. Uh, but if you've been there, you've taken the hit. I think it's worthwhile riding through. You've got to trust management here. And so far, I think they've done okay. I mean, it's a tough sector. They've done okay. So I'm happy to ride it out. Um, look, I, you know, I, I think it's not a bad play. I, I would buy into it here um, with the caveat that it is high risk. But I think it's worthwhile. Okay. All right. Let's move on. Benjamin uh, wants a view, Nathan, on DUG technology. It's a, um, um, a, a computing services company in the, that scientific area and, and resources sector. Uh, currently looking to raise about $20 million from uh, institutional investors and also a share uh, purchase plan. Uh, what do you think of DUG? Yeah, look, on the macro side of things, mining, mining services have struggled um, despite, uh, you know, pretty high commodity prices. A lot of the CapEx outlook isn't great. I know people tend to say that there's a lot of big numbers coming, but the growth rate in CapEx hasn't been that well. And look, miners are not being incentivized at the moment because they've got high prices. They don't have to produce as much and they're making good money. So they're, they're being conservative. So again, we've been a bit careful on mining services. And this is kind of playing into that thematic. This is more of a tech play in that thematic. Has run into a few issues, obviously, the share price is telling you that. So it's a tough one. For me, in this kind of area, when the sector thematic is not great, it's, it's tough to go and you know, put up money when they're raising at the bottom. You're not there with momentum. You're not there with strength. Uh, things are still struggling. They need to still execute. So for me, I'm not, I wouldn't be jumping and chasing this right now. I'll wait and see how they execute. I need to see a positive update. I need an upgrade cycle before I jump into the small cap, especially in these kind of sectors. So I'm staying out of it for the moment. Okay. Uh, Gaurav? Yeah, look, one of the, um, there are lots of differences between me and Nathan, but one of the striking ones is that um, I'm happy to buy something that's out of favor, that's falling, um, and that looks terrible. Um, I don't, uh, you know, I hear this a lot, um, and we've argued about this a lot, Nathan, that, um, you know, uh, about wanting to see it turn around first. And I think that is um, sensible, but it also it, it also takes away a lot of your, your upside as well. Um, so I, I looked at this with a bit of interest and uh, that interest vanished very quickly. Um, look, this is a $100 million business. It's been going for about 20 years and uh, it's it's extremely hard to understand exactly what they do. Um, all the buzzwords are there, you know, supercomputers, yeah. cloud, analytical software, SaaS, mining. But, you know, um, I challenge you to sort of explain to me exactly how these guys make money and what do they do? There's a whole heap of um, aspirations here. I mean, they design supercomputers that use less power. Okay, that's great, but they haven't really gone anywhere for 20 years. Um, they do some services. They have a cloud business. They sell analytic software. This is just all over the place. I don't see a coherent strategy here at all. I see no reason to invest money with the business. Couldn't see an investment case. Look, I don't know the company. I might be missing something completely and maybe I'm off, but one of the one of the traits we have to develop as investors is to quickly cycle through ideas. We need to be able to pick up an idea, 
um, and quickly comprehend what it does. And if we can do that, we can sort of decide whether it's any good to go further into the research or we have to stri strike it aside. And sometimes we get that wrong, but often um, you go through enough companies, you sort of get a sense of what's going to work and what isn't. I got no sense of anything here going to work. This seems like a narrative in search of a business and I see no reason to buy this. I just I, I just put it aside after a little while and, and I'm not interested in this at all. Avoid. Okay. All right. Um, AJ Gorab wants a view on Universal Store Holdings, the, the specialist retailer in uh, uh, youth casual apparel, 65 physical stores, fast growing online store. Uh, they've got a range of their own products and, and third party branded products. AJ says, I know Gorab likes the business. However, I've seen insider selling over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Is this a potential red flag or does the company's rollout strategy still position it well for the reopening? Gorab. AJ's right. I do like the business. I. I think this is still um, not all that well understood um, because a universal store, for those who aren't familiar with it, is kind of a youth apparel store. And it's a bit like uh, General Pants or um, I don't even know the names of other cool shops, Koshi, but <laughs> Nathan will probably know. But it's, it's a competitor oh, for, um, for businesses that, that target youth fashion. And ordinarily, we would run a mile. I would run a mile from this because it's it has all the downsides of regular retail, and then you've got the vagaries of of youth faddishness, and and um, and and you just don't know how that's going to turn out. But there are a few things that really differentiate Universal Store, and the one that's most attractive is from the ground up. This was built up to be a omni-channel business, so they built the online channel. Um, side by side with a physical store. So there's a remarkable coherence between the um, ordering, the supply chain and the and the sales experience of the online and the um, physical store network. And it's one of the best um, omni-channel experiences I've seen in retail. It's And it's so good because it's been thoughtfully uh, put together um, to be coherent from the very beginning unlike a physical retailer who then decides to set up a website or a online retailer who then decides to open stores, I think that's always a second best option mm. compared to one that's that's birthed as an omni-channel retailer from the beginning. So there's a whole heap of um, distribution and logistics advantages that these guys enjoy that others do not. Um, so there's that. And the other thing I really like about it is that it's quite different. The offering is a curated range of brands and what that means is that they have a dedicated sales team. And inside this business, it's these sales guys, sort of the, the fashion, um, the guys who pick out which brands go where and, and which trends are, um, are doing well. They've kind of industrialized that process. And they have all these markers and um, they have a, a secret source about how they go about picking what's going to do well and which brands and which, um, which trends to, to kind of have in store. They've got now a, a decent track record of, of doing that correctly, which suggests that they have a process of, of finding that out and making it work. And, and that kind of differentiates the stock in the store from the rest of the competition. And it's been a really, really strong point of the business. Management is absolutely outstanding. I think the CEO here is fantastic. She's been with the business, I think, since 
2009 or so, a, a long period. Um, and she's done a wonderful job. Now, I note what you're saying, AJ, there has been some insider selling, um, and that's always something to consider. But it's not everything. And I think there's enough um, insider alignment here um, that it doesn't concern me too much. I think the valuation still looks reasonably attractive. Mm. I hasten to add that um, my colleagues do not agree with me. Universal Store has never been recommended or owned by us, um, despite me bringing it to the team on several occasions. And so this is more of a personal uh, record for me, but I think it's a buy still. Okay. I think it's a wonderful business with real differentiators. And um, the fact that I can go in there and feel completely out of place makes me feel like they got the target <laughs> audience just right. And and Globe is the other one in this sector, isn't it? That's Which right. is uh, uh, skateboards and skateboard fashion and accessories and things like that. The biggest uh, Mike, part of what Globe. Do you think of, sorry, Globe. The biggest part of Globe, Quashi Globe, is um, is something I've owned for quite some time. Um, it's is uh, is workwear. It's cool workwear. Yeah. Uh, they own the FXD brand, which is probably the, the biggest chunk of value in Globe. So it's a, it's a bit different, but I, but I do take your point. You, right. They okay. do go for a, a market niche just like um, Universal Store does. Hmm. Nathan? Yeah, look, these guys, like starting with Globe, um, you know, it's a business that I've, I have been bashed by Gaurav time and time again to look at, and <laughs> you have to give them credit. Um, look, they when they execute well and they consistently deliver you have to look at any business and in tough cyclical businesses like retail um, universal has been one of those ones that have done well and they deserve to be doing well and look in a market where you're not getting much of a yield these guys have started to pay a dividend and you're getting two percent fully frank yield i mean god forbid when retailers pay dividends consistently um so look management's good they've executed well i think their growth story still stacks up multiple it's not that expensive, so you know, for a retailer. But again, you got to be careful. Retailers are cyclical, but you know, you you back good management, uh, and that's one thing I've learned in retail sector time and time again. The guys with the track record, with the good management, continuously manage and uh, I suppose evolve. As where I was explaining about uh, West Farmers and Inst uh, you know, Infratel and so forth. Um, you know, we look at them as listed private equity. Um, these guys, you know, they, they're very good at picking the niche market where they have a competitive advantage. They get in and they, um, you know, evolve with the market. Um, again, if me and Gaurav are not going into those shops, then they're doing something right. Um, so <laughs> in that context, they, they continuously look for where the market is not being serviced and then they grow into that and they build a brand and then they take advantage of that brand. And it's a first mover advantage when you can pick into a niche area. So look, they've done well and they're doing well. So I don't have a problem with it. Uh, I always struggle when stocks have had a good run to buy into it. But this is one of those ones where you go, um, it's like um, AX1 for me in retail, um, mm. high quality management, high quality business model. You buy them when they have a slight pullback and hold on. Okay, would you, would you buy it now? Yeah, look, in the, when, the, right. when you're looking at it relative to the market risk, I think these guys are worthwhile taking okay. the risk on. All right, Will wants a view on Atomo Diagnostics, um, which is the, they're in the rapid testing diagnostic uh, business, which seems, uh, um, and um, self-testers, for um, which seems pretty popular at the moment. I have to do it three times a week at, at seven. Um, um, now, Will says, Maitham previously has shown a liking for the business, but was a bit hesitant. Does he think now is a good time? Share price has turned around recently with some substantial holdings from health investment funds. Uh, they make test kits for HIV and COVID. 
one of the few listed companies with TGA approval for supervised use self-testing. Um, what do you think, Nathan? Yeah, look, as I said, uh, the one-eyed man is king in, a, in the land of the blind. Um, when you're going into a pandemic and you're trying to open up and people don't know what the standard is, how are you going to play it out? Um, these kind of thematics are big because we just don't know how much. Um, if you look at what's potentially we will be using, there's going to be a lot of testing. I mean, from what I can work out in an opening up environment, you have to have fast testing everywhere. You've got to have countless amount of fast testing in every work environment, every school type environment, every kind of environment where you are getting together. So in that context, there is a massive scale of fast testing needed. And again, it, it came to my interest purely because it got pulled back, was a float, underperformed again. You don't want to go in, you know, looking at a float that's underperforming, but it, this has got a few things to it. And one of those things is the fast testing side of things. So that's what got me into interest. And that's part of the business that could be churning out a fair amount of revenue over the next couple of years. Um, is that a long term play? I think in the shorter term that could play out. I mean, this pandemic, as we said before, it's, it's not going to go away in the next six months. This is going to be at least a year or two, maybe even longer. So as we evolve to living with COVID and how whatever new uh, variant that comes out, there's going to be obviously changes and the work, school, uh, shopping environment has to evolve with that. And I think yep. fast testing is going to play a part to it. So at 31 cents? Yeah, look, oh, we've been a fan of it. Even, you know, once it started to uh, work through the environment of timing where the opening up cycle and what they yep. were looking at. So I think this plays into it. So I'm a buyer here on yep. the pullback. Uh, Gaurav? Yeah, I found this one difficult, to be honest. Um, a lot of the, you know, it, it doesn't really lend itself well to traditional analysis. You're looking at a 170 million market cap for what, seven, eight million dollars in revenue. It looks it looks ridiculous, but um, you should get very rapid revenue growth from the um, the rapid testing going on. And more important than that for me is that this company has a demonstrated history of innovation. They came up with the rapid testing um, HIV test, the AIDS test, and that's been commercialized. And I think they've got an agreement to distribute that. And they've been generating revenue from that. And a lot of the new products come from, um, you know, some of the R&D that went into doing that original mm. test. Um, and, you know, companies that go from zero to one, those are the businesses to kind of keep an eye on. That's, that if you can grow something from nothing, in a, show, you know, show that you can innovate um, and create something, to me, that that's a really big deal. That gets a lot of points for me. And that overrides a lot of concerns I have about the way the valuation looks today or the way even right. the revenues look today. I think if you've shown you can create something that you have a bit of hustle, it matters a lot. The problem for me is that I just don't understand this industry all that well, and I don't have a good feel of the um, of, of where the product is, goes next or, or what the competition looks like or what the sales channel looks like. All these things that are really important are just unknowables. And, and part of that is because I lack the knowledge in this industry. And also part of that is because a lot of those variables are outside of Atomo's control. Um, so I, if look, if I if I had it, I'd, I'd hold it. I think it's doing some really interesting stuff, and um, it, it it's still a small company that could that could very easily grow into a very large business. It makes sense as a 
speculative edition. I think this is another example of intelligent speculation. But I couldn't buy it, um, right. buy it for me or for our or for our members. So um, I'll, I'll keep it as a hold, yep. um, but probably one to keep an eye on. All right, fair enough. Uh, Sri wants to view um, Gaurav on O Media. Uh, Sri says, can Mathan Gaurav give us a view on O Media and whether this stock is a good way to play the reopening trade or whether the capital raising last year means there isn't much upside left? Of course, O Media is the big um, outdoor advertising um, uh, company and and also has a lot of interest in in. Um, more traditional media as well. Uh, Gaurav, what do you think of O? Yeah, look, and, and a very astute question because I think inside that question, you both have oh. the reasons why you'd look at it and the reasons why you'd avoid it. And we'll get to that in a moment. But let me quickly point out that uh, Nathan has been smashing me over the head with this one. And, um, <laughs> and he's actually been right up to now. Um, there's a few reasons I've hesitated on O Media. I actually think it's a reasonably decent business um you know it, it, it it's super cyclical I, I understand that but um uh, outdoor advertising the industry has actually consolidated quite a bit and um they actually make reasonable margins so normalized margins i know they're making losses at the moment we all understand why they're making losses now they're actually very large in airports they're very large in shopping malls and they have some uh, public transport and road assets as well but the um um, but a lot of those have been disrupted because of the pandemic. So they're currently, their EBIT margins have halved, and I think they're making negative NPAT margins at the moment. But those should normalize over time, and, and I think they should get to 6 or 7% or so. And, um, and from that, you can actually generate decent cash flow. You should be able to print some good profit numbers. This should be a tidily profitable little business. Um, as those billboards digitize, they're actually getting better rates. Um, for their advertising because there's so much more they can offer. With digital billboards, you can change the billboards very quickly without incurring losses. You can um, add more billboards on a, more advert, adverts on a particular site, and you can also make them interactive. So they attract a lot more volume and a lot more margin. So that's actually really good. And they're rolling those out across their portfolio. Um, the industry is consolidated, so they're actually those price rises should be able to stick, and I think they they this business should actually recover really really nicely. Balance sheet's okay; it has probably more debt than I'd like, but it's okay. Um, the problem really, and 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 Sheree kind of highlighted this in the in the question, is that this has been a poorly managed business in the past, and it's been poorly managed because it's a highly cyclical business that has always run with too much debt. There's been a lot of industry consolidation. They've taken over competitors using too much debt. They've run with too much debt. And, and because of that, they've had to constantly raise capital. So the share count has actually increased 4x, four times in the last five years. It's doubled in the last two years. And that's just decimated the earnings per share. And I, and I actually think um, the questioner is right. I think it's going to be really difficult, even after this company recovers, even after it announces tidy profits, to earn a decent per share um, earnings per share. And that's what drives the share price. And I just don't think you're going to you're okay. going to see big improvements. I'd actually probably sell this and move on. Mm. Um, it's a shame. It shows the, the the lingering damage of poor management and poor balance sheets combined but it's a sell for me. Okay. Nathan? Yes, I think uh, we've had this chat a few times on our media. <laughs> um, look, 
look, Gurav's right in the context that uh, uh, they've had a fair amount of cap raising. And this is the problem for a number of sectors, whether you're talking about property, uh, travel sector, um, you know, media sector. Survival in a pandemic means you're diluting future growth. And that's going to get harder and harder. Uh, and so the upside is certainly crimped. Uh, look, we got in a while ago. It's had a decent bounce. Um, it's at the top of its range over the last, I think, 12, 18 months. Um, so in that context, I think it's going to, it's probably going to break out. I mean, have a look at what's happening in flight center, short covering, um, and these stocks that are opening up the Matic that, uh, you know, hedge funds have shorted quite a bit, that'll get covered and you'll get a run on it. Um, am I chasing it uh, at 180, 190? Uh, probably not as much, but we've been there a while, so we're willing to take the bit of volatility. I think there's still going to be volatility in the sector. I like the media sector simply because it kind of plays to the opening up the matic without too much risk uh, because you're not specifically locking yourself into whether it's a, a travel this or um, you know going to the hotels or having a drink you kind of have to get around so once people get around they're listening to more media seeing more ads so the media sector is a nice way to play that so we like southern cross and our media i'm still positive on it so i'll probably be somewhere between hold to a buy um, i'm not a roaring buy here but at the same time I think that the, the short to medium term, I think the media stocks outperform. So okay. I'm not fussed about that. But the longer term thematic, grabs right. I think the, the capital raisings will weigh on these sectors, but that's not going to come into play for at least six to 12 months. Okay. All right. Uh, here on the call, uh, we have our own portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner Nab Trade. Any stocks that get two thumbs up from today, it's Universal Stores. Uh, which I think is already in the calls portfolio, so it stays there. Um, uh, let's see how that portfolio has been performing for the week. We're down 0.3% for the month, 0.7% uh, uh, since the 1st of July this year, up 4.3% since inception. Uh, 1st of July 2020, the portfolio is up 42%. Some of the stocks recently added uh, Boss Resources, uh, Atomos, uh, Core Lithium, uh, Zoom to You and Drone Shield. Some of the stocks are removed, A2 Milk, New Hope, Medical Development and Rio Tinto. I know there's a groan on New Hope from these two because they quite, quite like the coal stocks at the moment. Uh, if you want to, that's why we have all the different panels because they have different views. If you want to see all the stocks in the calls portfolio, Go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. All right, just to recap the first um, five stocks, our education fund stocks, uh, Wiz Farmers and Family Zone, um, uh, Callium uh, Lakes, the Potash Group, um, a watch from Gorav. Um, certainly, uh, Mathan has been following it. It's a, it's a buy or a hold from, uh, from Mathan. They reckon they've got a good story. DUG Technology, a no from both Universal Store, a yes from both. Uh, Atomo Diagnostics, a yes from Mathan, a hold from, uh, from Gorev. And Omedia is uh, a hold to a buy from Mathan and a sell from Gorev. All right, let's get into uh, the second half of the call. Regis Resources, Josh wants a view. Um, and Josh saying, hoping Mathan and Gorev uh, can give me an opinion. Similar to many of the gold mines, this one has dropped quite a bit. I don't think there are any dead bodies in this one. 
to use a Mathanism, according to uh, Josh. So that, that's become a term now, a Mathanism for, uh, for dead bodies. Uh, of course, Regis Resources is a gold production exploration company in WA. They've got interests overseas as well. Uh, Nathan, what do you think of uh, Regis? Yeah, look, we've, we've been long um, gold sector and Regis being one of our players. Um, they bought, obviously, they bought an asset and uh, the market thought you, they paid a bit too much for it. Um, again, look, it wasn't a cheap asset. They, they did pay a decent amount. It was actually two stocks we liked in the independence and uh, Regis and they bought out the asset. I think it's okay. I think it, look, the whole the gold sector is basically under pressure from what's happening in the gold price it's been quite volatile it's very it's very hard for market to price something with the the conflicting macro signals that are coming out so we've been flagged that we are tapering but again tapering seems to be always coming but never there um and and funnily enough if you look over time every time the u.s fed has tapered uh, bond yields have actually fallen on risk or risk off trade so in that context, it's actually been positive for gold. So it usually underperforms into a tapering worry, but when actually tapering happens, gold actually outperforms because the market is going into a risk off trade. So we're in that moment where there's a fair amount of macro risk. We've got debt ceiling problems in the US. You've got, um, you've got the tapering worry, and then you've got the uncertainties with reform running through China. So the, you know global growth is in a downgrade. So in that context, there's definitely a fair amount of risk there and gold continues to be a defensive play in that asset. So we like the whole thematic behind it. Now it comes down to management. Um, it used to be one of the better managed businesses. Of course, it's had a bit of a patchy run recently uh, and I'm setting up the scene for Gurav to rip in. Uh, but in reality, <laughs> I think the sector looks good. It's a value trade. We're in a reflation cycle. You know, Every central bank in the last couple of weeks have agreed that you know, to the shock and horror that uh, inflation is going to remain elevated. I think US Fed has pretty much flagged that it's going to be above their 2% mark for the next decade. So in that context, it's a reflation trade. Um, so in that context, I think it plays part of the portfolio. So we've been long Regis, the value proposition still plays for me. Um, and it comes down to your view on gold price. Um, so in that context, okay. on a portfolio sense, we like the gold stocks and Regis is one of them. Okay. Um, Gaurav, five-year low in the share price for Regis. Is it one of Nathan's ugly buys that is so ugly that it's becoming quite good looking? <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why Nathan believes in that. I think um, it doesn't have much to do with stocks either. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, gold is really interesting at the moment. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised about where gold equities are trading. Uh, the gold price in Aussie dollar terms in particular has not been that bad. In fact, gold margins actually look quite attractive uh, for most gold producers at the moment, particularly if you're in Australia. And Regis is one of the better quality businesses oh. in, in the sector. Um, their assets are quite good. They look, they've had a few issues of late, but all gold miners have issues. And uh, I think it's, you know, you can't really damn management um, for for geological or, or mining issues, sometimes they these things happen in the in the sector. It looks I, I would I would say it looks to me they've gotten through all these um, uh, all the little production hiccups and they should be back to uh, producing reasonable volume. Um, otherwise, management great track record on capital allocation, and um, over long term they've done really well. 
there's no doubt they paid too much for Tropicana. So Tropicana was the uh, was the stake in they they bought a 40% stake of Tropicana in from um, from IGO from Independence Group, and they paid a silly price for it. It was right. maybe 30% overpriced, I, wow. I would say, like a really crazy price. And I think they did that is because the the current mine life and resources were looking just a bit thin, and this may reflect a little bit of panic from management. Um, they bought a wonderful asset, Tropicana. Of the last 20 years, there's been three decent gold finds in Australia, and Tropicana is one of them. Right. Um, it's it's a really good asset, and it will be producing for decades, most likely actually at increasing production rates and very low cost. So I don't think this mistake of overpaying is going to kill them over the long term. The valuation looks extremely attractive. This might be the cheapest gold stock on the market, really. Um, mm. I quite like Evolution. I quite like Gold Road, and I like Romelius. Those three have been my uh, my favorite gold gold companies but i'd have to add regis to that list as well i think oh. it looks very attractive at this price i hasten to add that i don't own it i don't really like buying gold miners um but this is a good one and um i'm gonna put a buy on this as well so uh, Nathan, nice one i think Nathan probably alerted me to this one uh beforehand so unfortunately another stock that he deserves some wow. credit for but I think he's shocked that you actually agree with him. So <laughs> I, I'm shocked as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, there you go. There's a uh, uh, a good one, Josh, for your uh, agreement from the uh, the maestros here. Um, Gaurav Raju wants a view on AGL Energy. Uh, he says was reviewed a couple of weeks ago by the experts. Price has fallen a lot since then. Is there any value as a turnaround story? And is this an ugly buy, as Maitham would sometimes say? Uh, Gaurav, I, I think you've blasted AGL in the past, haven't you, as being not very well run. Yeah, and, and I'll blast it again. This is clearly one of the worst-run businesses on the ASX over a long period of time. Um, and look, it's, it's not to say that they haven't faced a very difficult external environment, which they have. It's been really hard, but it's been clear what what has been what has been required from this company has been very clear for a long time and management has really hesitated to make real to make difficult decisions um and that's why they're in the mess they're in at the moment you know when they bought the uh, the big brown coal power stations i think we're going back five or six years now most industry insiders knew what they were buying that they were buying a whole bunch of liabilities that shored up the short term and trouble the business over the long term. And they did it anyway. And and that's the hallmark of bad. Bad management isn't really about day-to-day -day incompetence. That's not yeah. what AGL has done wrong. Bad management is about focusing on the short term and ignoring the long term. And that's where AGL and its management are hopelessly guilty. Um, so now they have to hastily arrange a split of the business that is going to decimate value. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense anyway, because um, you know, the, the retail business is now, so there's two parts of AGL, right? Let's take a step back. There are two parts. There's a, there's a retail business where they resell energy and there's a, a generation business where they make their own power from um, power assets. That generation business used to be extremely valuable and the integration between the two used to be invaluable. That was the core of the, of the value proposition here that you could make your own power and sell it and you could avoid all the volatility in electricity markets. Well, that, that entire 
that entire argument has been blown away and, and it's an outdated model that doesn't work for anybody anymore. And AGL is one of the last to, to try and mm, get it, keep okay. it working. So I think their generation assets are worth zero at best and most likely will have a negative value attached to it. Their reseller assets, this is just now a low margin, high churn reseller of a commodity good. At best, you'd pay five times earnings, six times earnings for this business. And that means the share price has a long way to go yet. I would not touch this. Okay. That's still in a void. Yep, that's uh, Nathan. That's a pretty definite no, I think. Uh, what about from you? Well, I think that's as positive as Gurub can get on uh, AGL. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're AGL management, you take that and run. Um, look, I should add though, mate. If you remember, I've I've, I've been talking about a sell on this yes. since it was in the high twenties. Yes. Um, so yeah. you know, but there's a long record of of us and me in particular just hating on, uh, not hating on, but complaining about this business and its management. Yeah. But sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, that's right. Oh, look, this is this is like the reverse Telstra. I mean, I used to hate Telstra, and then they started <laughs> to do the right thing, and I like Telstra. Um, I used to like AGL, and then they started to do not so smart things, and I hate uh, AGL. So in, in that context, I think AGL, Gurav's right. I, but I'll give management something in the context that the political environment has not helped them um, on both sides of their business model. Um, so it just doesn't, you know, you're going into a tough macro where politics is going to push you towards certain things. Management didn't stand up and make the call. They kind of went with it, and then they tried to ride it with short-term fixes, which has created a bigger problem in the longer term. It, it's just tough. It's just too hard. Um, you know, if you look at the other part of it, someone like Origin, who's got a retail and the uh, LNG play, LNG prices are at all-time high, and Origin's done nothing in the last 12 to 18 months. So in that context, again, it's just too hard um, and I yep. just don't see the upside coming through. I don't see any energy policy reform suddenly being set up. Our politicians uh, will tell you a lot of things, but they actually do very little. Uh, so in that context, this energy policy has been a complete mess and AGL um, has been caught up in that as well. So in that context, I, I just don't think it's worth it. Um, it's one of those ones where, you know, you, it's a, it looks cheap and it just keeps getting cheaper and cheaper. I just yeah. don't think there is a lot of upside coming. I'll wait to, for them to actually deliver something dramatic to change the model um, and take a hit. Then I'll look at it at this point. I don't see anything that's going to change the dynamics. Okay. All right. Uh, Joyce wants a view on Rubicon Water. Um, only a recent listing, but it's been operating since 1995. Specializes in water saving irrigation automation technology. Um, Joyce says, um, appreciate the, the panel's view, floated in September, really tightly held, top 20 hold 92%. Uh, and I see the two main funds are major shareholders, Australian Ethical and also Elliston is a big shareholder, um, Ashok Jacob uh, and the mob there. I believe water will be a valuable resource infrastructure in the near future. Uh, what's the panel think, Nathan? Interesting business, this one. Yeah, it is. Uh, look, I, I completely agree on water being a massive commodity. I, I think if there is one commodity that's, I think it's going to do better than data over the next couple of decades, it'll be water. Um, how you get exposure to that is the toughest thing. Uh, we've got a number of farmers that are as our clients, and I love talking to them because they tell me about all these things that they're doing and how they're looking after future cost-based play on water and how they're managing that. It's just going to be really, really tough. So it's a great industry. It's a great thematic. Um, and 
you know, I, I guess it's one of the where, for me, it's, it's an IPO float. So I tend to wait, um, wait for a, at least six to 12 months to see the numbers the, as they hit the road and then see how they perform. Um, look, it started what floated at a dollar. It's been you know, pumped up to 180. So it's, it's had a, a good pop. And uh, with 92% shareholding, well, you can't get much. You know? So the problem with that is, where is your marginal uh, fund manager that's going to come in to deliver the upside? It's not going to get into the index when you've got two or three people holding that much. The liquidity is not going to be massive. So it's going to be a really a retail stock. Um, and the funds must, I mean, the, when you've got that much holding, you've got to have real big trust that management's going to execute and get it up and running. So in that context, I think, Again, this is one of those ones where everything tells me it's not going to be worthwhile chasing here because probably too much of it is priced in. But I would be looking at it as a, a small punt. I would put a bit of money in it. I wouldn't be putting a lot in it, but it's a small punt and see how they execute. Because okay. at the end of the day, a lot of those main shareholders will not be able to get out. So they've got to have pretty high trust to get in. And I'll, I'll say this, any of those water tech type business models haven't actually been great business models. So you got to take a bit of risk in this. So keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, it automates the measurement and control of water flow via solar powered aluminium gates and stops spillage, apparently. Uh, Gaurav, what do you think? Yeah, I really wanted to like this. Um, as you say, I used to actually, I used to price water um, for New South Wales um, in a former life. Um, and I know the water markets well and I really like the water markets. I think it's a wonderful, um, wonderful system we've developed here in, in New South Wales. And um, it's a fascinating place for investment. So any water business that pops up, I generally like to take a look at and, and try and understand. And this one was no different. Um, it's done really well since the float. I have not participated so far, but um, it's, it's worthwhile going into this one a little bit. So it's not a new business I hasten to add. This has been around since 1995. It makes hardware and software for um, for irrigation. And Bosch, you mentioned a few of their products. Their main product is this thing called, um, it's a it's a network control. Uh, it's sort of autonomous control of, um, of of the hardware that controls the uh, uh, the irrigation and water supply into farms. And the whole idea is to make uh, water delivery and water storage more efficient. And that's a, that's a real problem that requires um, solving. So the, uh, straight away, I, I love the fact that there, it's actually a business that, that solves a real world problem, has genuine mm. solutions for it, um, and it's been around for a little time, so it has some sort of credibility in the marketplace. Uh, from and, and the superficial view actually makes it look really good. They've generated a lot of um, revenue growth over recent years. The ROE looks really, really good, and there's plenty of insider ownership, um, and those are all really good things. But after that, when you start digging into the numbers a little bit, this this idea falls apart a little bit too. Um, so that the top five customers account for, for two thirds of revenue. And so you've got a really high concentration of, of risk yep. there. And I think that that often gets underestimated how how much that can hurt when one of those customers decides to, to move away. The thing that really bothered me, though, was that um, revenue growth has been really strong. EBIT growth has been OK but cash flow is all over the place. And I don't see any obvious reason in the business model why there should be a huge divergence mm. between the EBIT and the cash flow. And 
look, I haven't done a detailed accounting deep dive into this, but that's what you need to do if you're thinking yeah. about holding this at all, because the accounts look aggressive and um, and I think they need a, a really solid working over um, okay. before we can get comfortable with it. The oh. ROE looks very good, but when you when you tear it apart, um, the margins actually have been falling and the asset turn has been falling. So the only way the ROE has improved is because um, they've actually added a lot of debt to the capital structure. Right. This looks like a company that's kind of been um, assembled for floats. Right. Um, you know, for a long time, they didn't run with any debt. All of a sudden, they're floated. They want to get these core numbers up. So they've added a lot of debt to the capital structure. Um, I, I wonder about what other accounting uh, shenanigans have they've used. Okay. Um, I think behind right. it all, you've got a competitive business with no moat floated with a great story and the returns are juiced up with debt and the cash flow is awful. Okay. This, is a, this is a red flags all over it and avoid. All right. Um, thought we'd spend a, a bit of extra time on that one because it's so interesting. So the result is we'll have to skip through the next two gents if we can. Uh, Gaurav Kaur wants a view on Centuria Industrial REIT, um, obviously managed by Centuria, pure play industrial property uh, real estate investment trust. Yeah, this is really this is really interesting. If you're an income investor, this is exactly the kind of thing you should be looking at. Yep. And it's looking particularly attractive at the moment. So trading at NTA, yielding close to 5% with a wonderful wonderful portfolio of assets. A third of it is distribution centers, 15% data centers. Telstra is the biggest tenant. And the whole portfolio has a whale of nine years. Look, you need to be aware of the impact that, uh, that interest rates have on, on cap rates and yeah. the impact that will have on asset prices. But, you know, once you're aware of that, you can fit that risk into your portfolio. And I still think you can do reasonably well out of this. So this is a buy for me. Okay, for income investors. Uh, Nathan, just quickly, Centuria rate. Yeah, look, I think it, it comes down to what you're looking for. If you're looking for income, I think this is a good quality business model. It's going to be around a long time. It's got the right dynamics, uh, great quality assets. Um, obviously, as Gaurav said, you know, reflation cycle rates go up property stocks will struggle, but you know, this is good, it's worth the risk. So I think it's worthwhile. Okay. And just finally, Maitan, uh, Louis wants a view on Senex Energy, the, uh, the oil and gas uh, explorer and production group. Look, the energy sector is interesting. Um, you've had a pop in uranium that's coming off, uh, coal stocks are doing really well, but you know, most of our stocks are linked to the LNG. Uh, LNG prices are doing really well uh, out of Japan, but yet uh, most of our energy stocks have done nothing um, since the start of this year. Um, Senex has been uh, one of the ones that actually done okay. So in that context, um, look, I think it's doing well, but it's kind of price for that. I'm not getting excited by Senex. Okay. I think it's a good business. I think it's solid. If you're there, you keep it. But if you're looking for energy plays, uh, look, I'm looking for the guy who's beaten up and the guy who's been beaten up and looks like value territory turning around is beach. So have a look at that. I know Graf is probably going to throw an absolute brick on it. But uh, the energy sector looks interesting here. Yep. Uh, Graf, just quickly, Senex. Uh, yep. So uh, actually a, a pretty good business. 85% um, of their output is currently fixed. So it kind of hides the profitability of the company. Um, that's all coming off. Um, hedging and it's going to be market market exposed and you're going to see the free cash flow just really rise over the next few years uh, i think you can safely buy this company but um my problem with it is that it just looks very obvious like the i wonder if there's something else um, going on here and might require a bit of a deep dive but 
um, look, it actually looks all right. And I think if you're holding, you can certainly hold it. If you're looking for energy, particularly gas exposure, then you should you should, should do okay with this. So I'm going to put a spec okay. buy on it. All right. Gaurav Sodi, Major Thomas and Darren, always a delight to catch up with you two to kick off a Monday. I love it. We had some really good stocks and great discussions. Really appreciate your time and your input. Thank you. Thanks, Koshi. Good, good on you, fellas. Uh, Gaurav Sodi from Intelligent Investor, Nathan Thomas and Darren from Deep Data Analytics. If you want to follow them, uh, follow them on Twitter. Go to the Intelligent Investor and Deep Data Analytics website. Uh, they are just great for information. Uh, just to recap, uh, Regis Resources, uh, a yes from both Gaurav and Nathan. Gaurav says could be the cheapest gold stock around at the moment. Uh, AGL, a no. Uh, Rubicon, a yes from Nathan, a punt from Nathan, a no from Gaurav. Uh, Centuria Industrial REIT, a yes from both for income investors. If you're after income in your portfolio, this is tailor-made for you. Uh, and Cenex is uh, a buy from Gaurav and a hold from Matham. Uh, if you'd like us to take a look at any stocks you're interested in, just email the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. Uh, all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. That's it from the call. Look forward to your company same time tomorrow from midday Eastern. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.